I've treated hundreds of patients and trained thousands of healthcare professionals over my 15-year career. And one thing I've learned through that experience is that most people are really confused about supplements, or they lack a clear strategy or plan for how to use supplements to improve their health. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Our ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients we need for optimal function. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. I formulated Adapt Naturals using the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research to fill the nutrient gaps that we face today and replicate the nutrient intakes found in an optimal ancestral diet. Our flagship offering is called the Core Plus Bundle, a daily stack of five products that gives you everything you need each day, from essential vitamins and minerals like B12, folate, magnesium, and vitamin D, to phytonutrients like bioflavonoids, carotenoids, and beta-glucans. You can also order the products in the bundle separately if that works better for your needs. The Adapt Naturals products are made from the highest quality, food-based, or bioidentical ingredients, from cellular and immune health to brain and nervous system support to blood sugar and heart health, we've got you covered. Your supplement cupboard is about to get a lot smaller. We also created an app called Core Reset to help you get your nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress management dialed in. Because no matter how good our supplements are, and they are really good, you can't supplement yourself out of a bad diet and lifestyle. The best part is that you get this app at no additional cost when you order the Core Plus bundle. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. Let's talk amino acids for a moment. On my recent episode, Why Amino Acids Are the Building Blocks of Life, I discuss why we need amino acids at all stages of life and how Keon aminos can help you live a long, active, healthy life. To truly understand just how vital amino acids are for health, think about your body and what it's made of. You've probably heard before that it's made up of mostly water. What you probably haven't heard is that everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for health and fitness. This is why Keon aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day for energy, muscle, and recovery. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing, and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, and enhance athletic recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. You can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com slash that's G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash Cresser to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. Hey everybody, Chris Cresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. Most of us go our entire lives without thinking much about our feet, but as we'll discuss in this show, that's a huge mistake because our feet are the platform that supports our entire body, you know, sometimes six feet of it plus and 250 pounds plus. And yet we have rarely developed the same sense of awareness and articulation in our feet and our toes that we have uh, with our hands, for example. And while we don't need that same level to be able to move in a healthy and functional way, we do need more often than we have. 
And that's what I'm going to talk about today with Graham Tuttle. So he's a strength and conditioning coach uh, that merges physical therapy with performance to help people get out of pain and be able to move better. Graham is known for many of his programs. Uh, the most popular is called Ready to Run. It's a 28-day program to rebuild feet, ankles, and lower legs for pain-free running and movement. And I've been aware of his work for some time, and I know many people who absolutely swear by it, who've you know developed various injuries or lack of mobility throughout their life, either from being too sedentary or, or being too active in the wrong ways. And they've used uh, his programs to... Uh, recover their movement and uh, get out of pain. So uh, this was a fascinating conversation. It's something that's of interest to me. I'm, I'm really passionate about the, the body and all the different ways that it works. And as you may know, my wife is a Feldenkrais practitioner. And, um, so I, I pay a lot of attention to the neurology of movement and neuroplasticity and how that informs uh, body awareness and movement. So I think this will be a really interesting conversation for you if, if you're also uh, interested in these topics. And I certainly learned a lot. I hope you will too. Let's dive in. Graham, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be had. Thank you for taking the opportunity to let me ramble a little bit. So you have a bit of a unique story in that um, growing up, you were not uh, the, you were not an athlete. You were, this, it was not, uh, you know, you don't have this history of like when you were five years old, you were crushing it and this or that, and it, it just came later for you. So tell us a little bit about that. So if there's, if there's one piece of like, I guess anything about my life that I think is of merit to, I don't know, describe to other people, it's like the idea that for most people, the idea of like athleticism just didn't come that naturally. Like, I think that's probably something that ancestrally we would have had a little bit more of just a natural environment to develop that. But, you know, like I grew up in very poor. I said, so you wear glasses. What's your prescription of your glasses, by the way? Are you nearsighted, farsighted? Uh, these are readers, um, oh. but that also have blue, blue light um, filtering that I use when I'm close to the computer screen like I am now. That makes sense. So, like for me, growing up with glasses, you um, you develop a lot. Well, you don't develop a depth perception. So basically, I have very poor eyesight. So it was the idea I wear contacts now. But um, if you could imagine like taking your hands to the side of your glasses and not being able to see clearly to the side, your brain just kind of doesn't really develop the neuromuscular like proprioceptive feedback of just your surroundings. So like things that kind of move really quick kind of throw me off. And so. A lot of that, like I had all the desire to be athletic, to be able to run and jump and play and do this stuff, but I didn't have the physical skill set or the capacity or the mental skill. Um, so one of those things is like process of backing into that was learning how to eat well, learning how to move, take care of myself, kind of undo this stuff because it, it's an interesting idea of like, I think as humans, we're meant to be in inertia. We are in motion, moving in a direction. And without a direction, we'll end up going somewhere. And so I think like for me, for example, I was just doing eating whatever was put in front of me, doing whatever the, the meat heads in the gym were like lifting in terms of working out. Like I needed physical activity to go and move towards, but without any type of like intangible skill or, or structure around that, then I ended up in a place where I was in pain. A lot of joints hurt, a lot of my, my muscle, my fascia was stiff and I like very like bound up person. So, you know, I think it's more of a, a cost of our modern society whereas like 
if we were in a tribe where we sat in the ground and moved around all day, like even without, like that is the structure, like the formless existence we lived in would have been some form of a, like a guide for our body to move. But when you're sitting in 90 degree chairs and you're looking at computer screens and you don't have that guidance, it's like, so ultimately I backed into that stuff and it's been a process of learning how to, a, you know, have a body that can move joints that are healthy, uh, let's say skin, hair, nails, like uh, organs, brain function, everything that works for me. So then I can go practice and play sports because that's what I want to do is play sports and have fun and run. So, right. So, so yeah, I mean, that's worth highlighting. Like the, there's a difference between the kind of movement that um, somebody might do or the kid, there often is a difference in the gym mm-hmm. or, or even with the sport and what we might call functional movement, which is just how to inhabit your body in it, in mm-hmm. a, like with, with ease and, and power and, and, and grace, which I think our ancestors just naturally inherited and, and mm-hmm. developed that ability just by the nature of the way they lived, right? You were saying if you're, you're squatting in a circle rather than sitting in a chair or in, in your moving around a lot, you're moving on ground that is not perfectly level, like mm-hmm. a paved sidewalk. And you're not wearing, you know, shoes that have a lift on the heel and a big thick sole, right? Mm-hmm. So I know this is a major focus for you. It's probably a good segue. We're talking about now about the, the differences between our ancestral environment, in particular with the, our feet and the ground that we walk on. You talk a lot about the importance of the feet in movement, which not a lot of people focus on. So how did that become, uh, you know, something that, that was important for you in your work? Mm. Well, first, I think it's valuable because I think we do tend to, as I say, fetishize or idealize the ancestral lifestyles. So it's all amazing. Everything's perfect. Like, I mean, for you, you obviously have done a tremendous amount of research and study. You're an expert in the world of knowledge. It's like of nutrition. It's yeah, I'm sure you do. You get people to talk about like the ancestral paleo diet. They kind of have this idea that like they're walking around eating tea, ribeye steaks and stuff like that. It's like things weren't like that, right? Food wasn't as plentiful. It's like we, it, life was very hard. So like we as humans have a very ingrained proclivity towards laziness, and I think that's well merited, right? Like you look at people. It's funny you look at these ancestral tribes, like the the Hadza, what we see of them that are left now. It's like they're sitting around. They didn't do that much. They don't do a lot of work. And so it's interesting because we have this, this itch of like a lot of people are drug addicts for exercise combined with this weird like lifestyle. So, you know, it it is one thing to look and just keep in mind that like people struggle today because of a, let's say we still have that proclivity for, I want to take the easy way out and use technology to be lazy, but I also now have access to all the basic activities of daily life but um to help answer your question a little bit more in terms of like shoes and feet like what do you do for exercise i mean are you a runner do you lift weights like what is what does your life look like uh i do a lot depends on the season so right now it's mostly mountain biking and hiking and then some uh lifting and strength training on the off days where i'm not mountain biking uh and then the, I, I ski about 100 days in the in the winter so that's okay and that that could be downhill skiing or it could also be backcountry skiing where you're skiing uphill and then skiing downhill so how do you ski uphill do you like have to lean into the handles and like push off because i never understood that i thought skiing was always just a gravity thing so with this with this particular with it's alpine touring is what it's called you have skins on the bottom of your skis 
and oh. so that that creates grip on the snow and then you your bindings are, are different such that your heel will come up like on a cross-country ski so you basically mm. are moving forward as your heels are coming up as your as your ski slides forward and then as the because you have a skin on your ski it grips and then you as your next leg comes forward you you pull you're basically like pulling yourself up the mm. hill do you notice a different set of muscles that you're using when you're wearing shoes that like keep your heel flat on the ski versus that can lift up? Like, do you feel tired or fatigued when you're doing it in different areas? Yeah, it's definitely different, different muscles that are working in downhill versus uphill skiing. Okay. And then when you're, so when you're lifting, what shoes do you wear when you're lifting in uh, strength training? Uh, usually I wear a Vivo barefoot. So they're, they're zero, you know, they're, they're flat sole and they're pretty thin soles. Okay, and then for hiking, what are you wearing? Uh, depends on the trail. Like if it's, I generally will also try to wear lower sole, let, more minimalist footwear. But there are some trails here in Utah that are extremely rocky. So yeah. in those in those cases, especially if I'm carrying a pack, you know, and I'm and, oh. I'm, and I'm backpacking, I'll I'll wear uh, like La Sportiva kind of lightweight trail runner type of shoes. Okay. So there's still less substantial. I'm not wearing like big hiking boots yeah. at any at any okay. point, but it's kind of spectrum. Yeah. Have you ever had any like ankle sprains, foot pain, like a plantar fasciitis, turf toe? None of those not things. Not as an adult. I was a basketball player as a you know in high school, and I definitely rolled plenty of ankles. Um, okay. Then, but I, I since then I haven't had any injuries like that. Well, good. So one of the things, and well, I guess the other question to have is um. And this it's it's appropriate for the the answer to your original question. Um, when when did you start to transition? I'm assuming as basketball player, unless you were wearing a like Converse uh, All Stars. When did you transition into um, uh, like more minimalist, like understanding kind of like, like let's say a flat so because that's not the norm for most football. Yeah, so like probably, especially probably hiking. probably eight or ten years ago. I would I would say. Okay. What was the uh, what was the like the motivation to change that? You know, I just, I, I, I also grew up, you know, as a surfer most of my life and not wearing okay. shoes for most of my life, you know, on the beach and running on the beach barefoot in the soft sand or on the hard sand mm -hmm. and just, and, and did martial arts and that was always barefoot and just was more comfortable uh, without like big, heavy shoes. Um, and then, you know, I, I, at, around that 15 years ago, I, met Mark Sisson and, mm -hmm. and was, he was big in, you know, into the whole Vibram five fingers thing, which I never got into myself, but you know, I, I was exposed to that idea and then started experimenting a little bit with, I was never dogmatic about it. And I, and I didn't ever wear those, those particular yeah. shoes, but um, yeah, I was just like, Oh, how's, how's this? you know, let's look at it like an experiment. How's it going to feel? What's going to be different? When do I like having more of a soul? When do I like not having a soul? When do I like being completely barefoot? And I kind of worked out something that feel like that I'm comfortable with now. And it's like I said, it's a range depending on what the activity is and uh, what feels best. Yeah. What was it? Is it the five figures? That's the, those are like my daily drivers, so to speak. Uh, I love thinking about your shoes like your car. Um, 
what uh, is it? Did it just look too weird? Is he just weren't like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm cooler than that. Like, it's... Uh, I'm one of those people where my second toe is significantly longer than my first toe. Okay. So I, I can't wear them. You know, it's, it, it, it just, it's super uncomfortable. It like bends that second toe, you know, they haven't made one yeah. for the 3% of the population that ha has that, uh, issue. So. <laughs> Have you, uh, so does that cause you problems in other shoes? Do you have to size up or like, yeah, do you just they bump that toe in? Yeah. Like my, my last, my last Sportiva backpacking, trekking shoes are, I, I actually didn't size up because the size up just caused other problems. So I just suffer mm. a little bit when I go out on, when I go backpacking, you know, I just have a sore toe at the end of the day. So ultimately like that, that's a perfect case study. So when you look at shoes, there's two parts of this shoe dialogue. It's one of which is like, we know cognitively that we existed for like what, or at least our ancestors in some form for millions of years without shoes, right? Like there may have been, you know, like the um, Tar Humar tribe in uh, Borden to Run, an example of people that are in like very harsh, hot like places. Anybody that was in a, a desert, it's like, they have like bare minimum foot protection, but they looked at the shoe as this like form of foot protection. So it was kind of like, it's obviously a it's in, it's cumbersome to wear a shoe that wraps around your foot because as you say the, our feet are kind of weird it's like we're all like they're different size toes different widths different heights different um like lengths and not to mention it's like it's very hard to have a glove for your hand that fits unless you do so like if you do manual labor you know there's difference between a big like an oven mitt versus a big blocky glove versus one that's tight so you think about the the technology like the whether it's nylon or you know, plastic or rubber that has to be created in order to have something that actually gets function. So for most of our human history, shoes would have been like, okay, I've got this big rubber, or you know, not plastic, but this big rubber or cloth thing that I wrap around my foot for protection from the cold, from the heat, or from like, you know, pressure impact. But most of the time it would have been, hey, like kids don't like wearing shoes. They would kick them off and run around, especially for you being a beach bum, going around, you know, surfing, by the way, I gotta give you props for surfing. I spent about three hours in the ocean trying to sit on a board. Like no one even tells you this about surfing. Like I get out there and I just like, first off the waves look so small when you're walking out and you get out there like, oh my God, they're like tsunamis like five feet in the air. And no one tells you that it's hard to sit on the board. Everyone's like, you know, it's like the requisite just even being able to go surf. It's like, I can't even sit on the board. And it's so yeah, hard stand, because standing like, up is the is the easy part. It's true. Like get, sitting on the board, catching and catching the wave is also the next hardest part. You know, standing up is the yeah. easy part for sure. So like you spend hours. I spent three hours over the span of two days, and it's like, but of that, I got maybe like twenty five or thirty chances to even try it. So it's like you, it's so hard to like even learn the skill because it's like I can't even get into the door. Like I can't even get in the bar, like in the in the door to try the skill because every time a wave comes, I'm like, ah, too late, too soon, too soon is always rough because then you just get nailed. But so props to you for that. But but when you grow up on a beach bum and you're playing and running around and doing stuff, it's like you just learn to use your feet. So I would not be surprised if you had some inherent capacity to move your toes and wiggle just from years of doing it, just kind of like riding a bike or moving our hands. We take for granted that we can make these shapes with our hands and fingers. Well, that's what our feet can do. But when we incapacitate them and put them in a, a cast, we lose that. So ultimately for that, it's like, you know, we know that our feet have the capacity to do this stuff, but we also know that humans are designed to create technology that makes our lives easier. So it's like, this is where the blending and it's like, 
when we forget that we have the capacity and we only rely on the technology. And so this would be, you probably see this some with like people that over supplement and then lose the value. Like, oh, what pills should I take? It's like, hey, it's for real food, you know? But there's like things like water and the discussion around this stuff, sunlight and sleep. Like, those are the base nutrients our body needs and people want to just supplement. They just want to go to the technology. They want to get the greens mixed. It's like stuff could be good, but ultimately we are animals that evolved in an environment. And when we lose that environment, we lose the function. So I think there are, there's two parts of this. One of which is like people have been conveniently led to think that the feet are weak and fragile. So 1972 is when Nike creates the, uh, the Cortez. So that's, um, I think Bill Bowerman, who is blue, blue ribbon sports was the name of the first company. He was a track coach at Oregon. And so he goes and he has this, um, basically this is this idea that you could attach fabric over like the, um, the soul is polyethylene, uh, EVA, ethylene polyacetate, something, something like that. That's a fancy word. I'm just a personal trainer. So I don't know these fancy science words, but we, they figure that stuff out. So they put it together. And so he starts selling these very, you know, thinnish foam sole shoes under like out of the back of his car. And this is right after he goes down to New Zealand and meets his coach, coach Lillier, who is like their Olympic track coach or Olympic running coach down in New Zealand for their team. And he had come up with this idea of jogging. And so jogging was something that was created in 1967, 19, and Bill Bowerman came back, wrote a book about it, and it kind of took over the, the, the popular interface of like jogging. And Farrah Fawcett running, it's all over. Like people started picking up because jogging is something that's like, it's, it's supposed to be this bridge between walking and running. Where walking, you have one foot in contact with the ground at all times. So it's stance phase, meaning I'm bouncing on one foot and I shift over. I'm always touching the ground. Running is a, anything that moves past that is jumping. So like I'm basically hopping, even at a low pace, I'm jumping foot to foot. And so you can visualize this. If you were to jump rope, there is no height at which you would jump rope that you would want to land on heels. Even if it's a baby hop, it's very uncomfortable and it's also inefficient. So they're kind of have this idea of it's like this, race walk pace and it's meant to be down your heels and so conveniently bill Byron says well this is really uncomfortable to do so he comes back and has you know pads under the shoe and so then it starts to take off so jogging takes off you get 25 million americans in the 70s start to take up running because this is at you know i don't whether you call it seed oils whether you call it uh, technological advantage whether you call it just excess food whatever it is we started to have these metabolic diseases cropping up in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So somewhere around the 60s, 70s, people are like, we got to do something. We can't just sit around. We need to actually add in activity. Because before that, fitness and exercise wasn't part of the mainstream dialogue. So, you know, you start to see this. So what can we do? Well, there are no gym memberships on every corner like there are now. And so people like, you know, the lifting weights is weird. They're, it was for the circus freaks, you know, the people that are going to go to the strongman competition and go like flex. And it's, you know, like... If lifting weights is not healthy. You see doctors, like they were still telling people to smoke cigarettes at this time, right? And so <laughs> right. people are like, well, what can I do? Well, let me go for a walk. Well, you know, I'm going to try jogging. Did you hear about Craig? He's tried jogging. And you want to try it? And it's like, we got to jog. And it's like, it's, it's funny to us to think about it now, but it, it became this like new thing. Everyone goes to do it, go and do it. But when you get people that have had the benefit of technology for 20, 30 years, but they're kind of wearing shoes a little bit, but they're not, but they've been sitting around. We now have desks and people are more sedentary than they were in any previous point in history. They're not prepped for them. They're not ready for that. So what do you expect? They start to get injured. Shin splints, heel, uh, plantar fasciitis, little aches and pains that crop up. And so you see in response to this, it's kind of like, I sell you a drug, you get addicted to it, you suffer the externality. So I sell you more of the drug. Oh, we're going to fix you with the next thing. And so like, I'm literally like drug, like heroin, stuff like that. There's like this, this propagating thing where people, they, I sell you a shoe and tell you to go run on your heels. It causes pain. I tell you, oh, you need a bigger shoe. Actually, you overpronate. Actually, you have a collapsed arch. Actually, you have a bunion. 
And so I give you all these diagnoses and then give you more products to do it that ultimately are band-aids. So our entire interface with shoes, modernly speaking, or speaking as a modern person is the last 50 years where the shoe was something that kind of looked like a foot that became this massive swollen and gorged thing like a hoka that is two inches off the ground, that's curved toe, curved heel, comes to a point at each side, like it's like a boat, that's like an elf, that it's like an elf met a pillow. And so that's what we've been told, hey, this is footwear. But also your feet are weak, they're incapable, they need support. And so what's been conveniently lost is that, hey, your feet are the support. And instead of having a conversation like every other part of the body, if you wanted to lift weights and your grip is weak, I wouldn't tell you to go wear straps or you know just say, well, your grip's weak, it is what it is. I would tell you to go work on your grip. How do you work on your grip? You go hang, you hold stuff, you use your hands, you embrace the burning of the muscle engagement, you use your fingers, you get more coordination and dexterity. Yet we don't think about the feet. They're the same anatomically speaking. They're obviously slightly different, but you know, there's 26 bones in the foot, the, each foot, 27 bones in the hand. They have their phalanges, which are the little bones that make up the bendable components of the digits. You got your metatarsals in your feet and metacarpals are the long bones that make up the meat of the hand. And then you got your carpals at the base of your uh, hip palm of your hand and your tarsals under your heel. The same stuff. And yet, for whatever reason, it's conveniently been told to us that, yeah, your feet are just, I don't know, they're, they're kind of weird. They're like, you're weak and you need to have this shoe. And so ultimately, that's what gets people to the point where, unlike you, where you have 5, 10, 15, 20 years of being a beach bum and running around and using your feet, or you look at someone like Elu Kipchoge, who is now the spokesperson, the not spokesperson, but the, the poster child for the Nike Alpha Fly Next Percent, this like $270 shoe that's, it is amazing. Don't get me wrong. That thing, you feel like you're flying. But when someone goes and they've been wearing little baby, tiny Michael Jordan Air Force Ones since age of one, because they're so cute and they walk around and then they go to school and it's like, well, you know, little John needs to wear shoes. His feet, literally, it's like if I took your hand and just rope, wrapped it up and you would lose not only the muscle, but also the ability to control that. And then you have no choice but to continue wearing shoes. And then you don't develop the, the, the attention in your fascial lines, your tendons, your ligaments, your muscles, the bones, everything is weaker and collapses in. So we get deformed feet. But in response to that, say, well, it's not that you didn't use your feet. It's your feet are just that way. It's genetics. You are genetically predisposed to have a bunion. We have flat feet. It's just, it is what it is. Accept it. But also you're going to need to wear orthotics that cost you $200 and you're going to have to wear, change your shoes every three months and also get this brace and wear these socks and have this ankle compression sleep. And it's we, like, it's so convenient for these companies that we just, you know what? I don't know what those people used to do before 1970, but you need all these products and you're trapped. Does that make sense? I know a little yeah, rant, but like- no, definitely. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, so my wife is a Feldenkrais practitioner and she talks, one of the things she says a lot is that, you know, the thing that's different about your feet and your hands is you don't walk around on your hands. You know, your hands are not responsible for supporting your entire body. I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of amazing when you think about it, that the feet are not really that big. They're not really that wide. And yet they support, in some cases, 250 plus pounds of, of weight yeah. and, and vertical height, you know, six plus feet of height and, and not just standing there stationary, like moving around in yeah. lots of different ways. So, you know, the feet have an incredible responsibility and job to do. And yet, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, we've really sort of just consign them to this. I mean, I think a lot of people don't really just th- don't think about their feet at all. Never. 
And then if, if there is any thought, it's more like, what shoe should I get? You know, because we've been <laughs> conditioned to believe that. And I, I can't yeah. remember where this saying come from, came from. It might be from Moshe Feldenkrais, the founder of that method. But I think he said we die from, from, the, from the feet up, which, which is like a mind-blowing concept <laughs> to think about. I'm yeah. sure it resonates with you, but, and you understand what he meant by that. But it's that important. Well, give more, so there's two parts of that that I think about fascinating. The way I try to describe this to people that I, to help make sense is that like, all right, so you have one piece of skin on your body, right? It's like the inside of your, I don't know, your mouth is the same piece of skin as the bottom of your foot. It is just, you're wrapped in one piece. There's no sutures on your body. Underneath that, we have fascia, which is this kind of like more nebulous concept that unfortunately now people are getting awareness of it, but they're also using it as a bucket term of like, that's just your fascia. But basically, it's a connective tissue that wraps around underneath your skin and connects your muscles and your bones and wraps on your organs. So it holds things together. So because there is one connected unit in your body, it's like a shirt. If you have your shirt and I take the bottom of my shirt and grab a bit and then pull it down, it stretches everything out because all the fibers of my shirt are connected. So in the same way, if I take my feet and I contract them and hold that, it creates a tension that pulls from the body, the loss of circulation. It's interesting because you look at someone like with diabetes, right? So one of the things you see is a long-term, like, um, I don't know what you call it, but like edema, swelling, where they lose, they have to get their feet amputated. Yeah. I'm not so, sorry, what was, what was it called? Uh, it's often caused by peripheral neuropathy in the extremities yeah. and they lose circulation. Yeah, and have to get that amputated. So part of that, obviously, that goes into the, the way that the inner portions of the body are functioning. But there's a physiological, like you could think of the calves as a second pup for the heart. If we don't get muscle, because the veins don't have an active like pump, they don't constrict and push blood up. They just have, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, valves that prevent backflow. So if our muscles aren't pushing lymph and fluid up, then we don't have that. And so if I've never moved my toes, it's kind of like, I, you know, if you sit on the edge of a ledge and your feet hang and they fall asleep and you hop off and it's like pins and needles. Part of me is like, okay, well, if, you know, obviously there is metabolic dysfunction going on, but I wouldn't be surprised if a huge portion of that was just the fact that they're not moving their toes, they're not moving their feet, and they get cold. You look at certain things, but they don't have the capacity to do it. So it is like you do see this loss of like, I can't push fluid back up, I can't, and then my feet get swollen, my the, the skin gets stiff, and so you do start to die because the death is tissue stillness, meaning like. The th when we are still, are we are dying, in this, and I'm not saying still, like there's a part of like internal stillness, but our heart is always beating, our organs are always pushing fluid around, and so we our bodies are meant to move, and so when the feet, when the tissues don't move, we start to die because they lose circulation, they get dehydrated, and they literally start to stiffen up and become necrotic. So the same thing when you start to lose that, you lose the function, you die from the feet up. It is amazing to think about. So like when you look at the feet. It, just a simple test of this stuff. And so this is an interesting point um, on what you're saying or your wife's point of like you're standing with 250 pounds or six feet up. One of the things, if you've ever tried to do any hand balancing, so like, I don't know if you do any yoga, like a crow pose or handstand, you ever try to play around with any of that stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For people, so I, myself included, who again, like trying to learn all these skills, like how to move, how to run, how to do yoga, how to hand balance. It's, it's very, we don't think about like, I have to use my fingers to press into the ground. So that's one of the things like you have to get pressure. It's like people just, they want to get up there and they hold their hands stiff, but it's like the best hand balancers use their fingers to actually push and find space. But when we have our toes that are pressed together and basically lose the capacity to spread and make a shape, one of the things people do when they stand is they don't use their toes. 
And so you think about all the talk about uh, chiropractic, you're, are you in alignment? You've got the scoliosis, or not scoliosis, lordosis in your lower back, or you're rounding over. So much of that is correct. Because I remember I went and uh, I've not spent much time with a chiropractor, but I remember I got an adjustment. They took some like a video of me. The most striking thing of this was just watching a picture of me from the side. And I'm just leaning forward. My shoulders are hunched in. And we talk about like fix your posture. And it, it always centers around your head, your neck, and your shoulders. Like pull your shoulders back, pull your chin back, stand up straight, you know, push your chest out, right? And what they never tell you is push your toes in the ground. Because if I am standing and my toes are inhibited, I'm going to lean forward, especially if I have a raised heel. It's like a tower. If I just shift one side, it leans me forward. So my knees soften, my back slumps, and my shoulders come over to balance that. I soften all the joints. And the one cue I found is like, it, just like your wife was saying, when you think about the toes and you restore the capacity to a spread the toes, you then give yourself a planting base and you can push in the ground, it leans you back. And it call is so, like literally by leaning back, it forces me to lean my head back, pull my shoulders back. Every single thing up the body lines up when you push your toes in the ground. So it's, there's so much to be said for the semantics of words, like ground yourself, find where you planted, where like you say, look at your feet. Like when you're grounded in any contact with the ground, you have roots. The stronger, that's why I hate pine trees because they have like a very shallow root system. But like an oak tree has these beautiful roots that spread out. Like they're very hard to knock over. So like, do you want spread roots or do you want this? It's like, if I were to push you over, which do you think is going to be, give you better uh, results? Spread out toes or like lock down balls that are on like, even then it's like, <laughs> think about most shoes with the toe lift. They don't even touch the ground. If you're just picking up whatever salt is available at your local grocery store, I'm really excited to tell you about Kalima salt. I first came across it a couple of years ago and right from the start, I knew it was different. It has these large kind of crystals and flakes. It's crunchy, it's bright white, and the taste was different than anything else I'd experienced before. It's a great finishing salt for meat or fish or sprinkling on top of vegetables, and we use it every day in our house. I feel good about buying it because it's free of ocean-borne microplastics, uh, unlike most salts on the market today. And when I buy it, I'm supporting the local salineros who harvest the salt in Mexico. If you want to learn more and check it out for yourself, head over to cressersalt.com. And they have a special offer for Revolution Health Radio listeners where you get a free bag with your first purchase. No discount code necessary. Just go to cressersalt.com. To live your healthiest, longest life, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't properly evaluate your biological age, but Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow the aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. Add InnerAge 2.0 to any plan to calculate your true biological age and see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Chris Cresser. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Chris Cresser. It seems to me that there's also a neuroplasticity element here where yes. if you're in feet or in shoes all the time, especially like constricting shoes and they're not making, and your toes are, are jammed together, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. you're not getting input from 
each individual toe to your brain and the mental map that your brain has for your feet is going to be incomplete. Uh, and, and that, and that we know from, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. Right. And so if those neurons are not firing, they stop wire, they stop wiring together and you lose that kind of mental map. And so I think there's this element of like people not even really being able to sense their feet and yes. not being able to move their each toe individually like they can easily with their fingers. Because when we were mm -hmm. growing up, we did so much with our fingers, so many, you know, uh, uh, motor activities with our fingers that we developed this really fine and, and motor map of our hands mm -hmm. and our fingers, whereas we don't have that with our feet. And it seems to me that that can be part of the problem on, on, on how people have this sort of disconnect between their brain and their feet. And there's two, two parts of that that I think are interesting. Um, one of which is like, if you look at babies, like if you ever seen, you have, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like you see mm -hmm. the, the little toes, like their feet, they're like moving their toes. You can press in the middle of their foot. You're so cute. They squeeze down. It's so cute. But they're like rapidly moving and they're like feeling and, and engaging. We, there are thousands of nerve endings at the bottom of the foot. And you think about it, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of the work you do centers around like, you know, preventing neuro, neurodegenerative disease and to keep people's brains healthy. One of the biggest things is that obviously is the food, getting omega-3s and making sure we have the, the nutrients for the brain, but it's also stimulation, learning skills, getting feedback, trying to tune things. Those thousands of nerve endings, when they're just subjected to, hey, just think about the regular sock. Even just wearing toe socks can be a big thing because it's the first time people actually feel in between... If you have never pressed in between your toes, your brain forgets that there's even a space there. So even wearing toe socks and pressing in between that, getting that proprioceptive feedback is one thing. But if everything feels the same, you lose stimulation. People that have very ticklous feet, that are sensitive. If you go walk outside and it hurts, just even on anything that's like not perfectly flat and carpeted, then you're losing stimulation. Our brains would have been using the feet as a thermometer for our environment, the texture, the temperature, the gradient, the firmness, the, the, the dampness. Like, all of these thousands of signals signals that our brain would have naturally been getting. It's not that we have to be consciously aware of it, but think about how much stimulation that is for the brain. So on one thing, getting people to walk barefoot is such a, like, I, again, this is just my own perception. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it would seem to me to be an incredibly valuable part of keeping a healthy plastic brain because the more things you can bring into your body, the better. And the other side of that is when people go to actually correct this, it's really frustrating because if you... So I, one of the, like my main program that I do is the one I'm best known for is it's a foot fix program. So basically, how do you undo this stuff? There's an emotional challenge to doing something that you've lost the skill to do. And it's, it's like, I don't even know how to know how to do it. So for example, if you look at your hand and I say, all right, touch your pinky and your thumb together. What did you do there? Like, what, like, what muscles did you, what did you think about? Did you just like touch? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Me consciously, I don't know what I'm doing to do this. It's, it's happening. There's embodied knowledge in that sense. So if I want to learn how to use chopsticks with my non-dominant hand, I watch what my this side is doing and I try to put those positions and then try to like make those shapes again. So it's a very visual thing. But if I don't have a foot that can move, I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing how little of a connection we have with our bodies. That's why great athletes, for example, are often have poor coaches because they're like, I don't know how to tell you to run. I just, I just do it. Just go from here to there. And it's like, or just, you know, just jump a hurdle. It's like, 
there's embodied knowledge that comes from watching, observing, patterning after the people around us. And so when they do, when people do try to fix their feet, the first frustration is an emotional one of like, I can't even move my toes. I don't know what to do. And so it's a process of there's a bunch of tips and tricks and tools to kind of work through that. But when you've been told your whole life that you're flat arches, you're overpronated, you just have a bunion and it's all genetics and nothing you could do. And then you hear someone like, you're kind of like, you hear someone say, well, you know, we didn't wear shoes and you actually shouldn't be in pain. And, you know, your body, you're not broken. You want to believe that, right? Because you, no one wants to believe that they have to. It's very disempowering when a seven-year-old geriatric doctor comes and says, well, you know, Johnny, you're 12, but you got flat feet. So we should probably put you in some custom orthotics. It's like, that's easy for him to say, because he's going to be dead in five years. But this kid that's 12 has now been told that their feet are incapable and can't move. And so they get put in orthotics to fix an ankle sprain or plantar fasciitis for a short-term stint. And then there's no egress. There's no path out of that. And then 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, they got stiff knees, their calves are stiff, their ankles don't bend, their feet have gotten weaker, but they're in this like this position. They've got a peroneal tendonitis. Like all these things are going on, hip pain, low back pain, because they've incapacitated and, and lost the ability to move their toes because they've taken away the ability to flex, extend, and make shapes. Because they'll say, don't be barefoot. And so when someone's been told that for decades, and then all of a sudden it's like, but well, this doesn't make sense. Like I, I, you know, I want to be able to not do that. And then they even try. It would be like telling someone that wants to lose weight and you say, hey, let's eat some real food. Okay, we can do that. Now go for a walk. They don't even know how to walk. Like how frustrating is that? Like when you see people that have uh, paralyzed accidents, like they get paralyzed and like the amount of motor, like they're really focused. They have a spinal cord injury trying to walk again. The amount of focus and energy they have to put in every step. It's like they're sweating just trying to move their foot. It's that kind of effort for your toes. And most people, it just is easier to say, well, no, it's just my feet. Like, I, yeah, that's nice that you can do this, but like my genetics, my doctor told me my genetics are bad. So it's really all that to be said is when people are starting on this journey, it really is an emotional thing at first because they do have to challenge beliefs and they do have to really sit into something that is A, uncomfortable and B, really frustrating. But once they start to get to this process and give yourself a few weeks of momentum, it's like, it's amazing how quickly your body bounces back. And then you can heal yourself from the ground up and it's like unwinding that shirt and you feel the neck just unstretched. Well, that's the great news about neuroplasticity, right? It's, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, uh, if you don't do something for a long time, it, that those pathways start to atrophy and you lose, you lose that capacity. But the flip side is that we now know that the whole idea that, you know, we're losing brain cells until the day we die and you can't regenerate any neurons is completely false. And we can build new neural pathways just by, mm -hmm. you know, changing our, 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 our behavior basically. And so yeah. it's like a little bit like learning an instrument, right? If you are starting to learn the guitar, it feels super awkward, you know, <laughs> to play a, yeah. a bar chord or something like that. And your fingers, you're, you're just like, what, what's going on here? You, know, you feel like you yeah. have claws. And then after some period of time, your fingers are moving up and down the fretboard with no problem. And it's, you know, yeah. I, I imagine it's the same. So let's say someone's listening to this and, you know, they're, they're, they are wearing shoes most of the time. They feel sort of disconnected from their feet and they suspect that that's causing, you know, pain and move and limiting their mobility and movement. How, how would you recommend getting started? Because I'm pretty sure you're not going to say just take off your shoes and start running 10 miles barefoot, which is what sometimes yeah. people do, right? And there's actually some risk there if you just dive right into that. Absolutely. So uh, there's a few rules of thumb. If you have sock tan lines, 
you're not ready to go run barefoot. <laughs> That's always like, go. it's like, it's like, or so, and this is obviously has to do with a little bit of body composition, but there's, there's some uh, deeper meaning. So like, if you look at the, the hand, the back of your hand or the top of your foot, you should be able to see the tension, like the, the tendon lines that run from the knuckle to the wrist. If you flex your hand and you start to see it depends on the shadow, strong hand, and this is relative strength. So not necessarily objective strength, but strong hands and strong feet have evident tendons, meaning you can maintain just like the tension in a uh, suspension bridge you can see that tension in the cable. So those are things that you want to start doing. The first thing, and so ultimately what I would say, like the, the gold standard is that you have what I would say is about the healthiest, like what I would want people to get to, which is you spend some time, you have a variation, you have a set of toolkit and you have a set of technologies. When I'm going on sharp rocks or longer distances, yeah, I wear some more padding. When I'm doing something that's flat and stable and I want to be able to feel the ground, then I wear less padding. You know, when I'm, you know, I don't have to I wear it barefoot. That's the goal. I'm never, I'm not going to be dogmatic. And I think that's the problem is people get very dogmatic because it's like, first off, I've been doing this for years and it's still uncomfortable to go walk around like in Vibrams on rocks. It does not feel good. <laughs> but, oh, it just feels like a massage. No, it doesn't. It feels like you're being poked. It, whatever you think it feels like to walk on rocks, that's exactly what it feels like. And they did studies where they showed people that were, like lifelong barefooters and people that are not. And they found that even though the people that are like lifelong, like the indigenous tribes, they just have thicker calluses, but the feet are just as sensitive. So part of it is learning to deal with discomfort. And I think that's a value because all of our marketing is told, you, you pick out a pair of shoes, the number one question you'll get asked, how do they feel? Are they comfortable? It's like, what, are they functional? Can I move my toes or my wide? Are my feet falling asleep? Like those matter too. It's not just, am I on a pillow? So expect and understand that it will be uncomfortable. Just like, you know, I remember when I first started lifting weights, you put a bar on your back. It's like, man, this thing is really, it hurts. Like it, that actually like this pressure, the thing is pokey. It's in my skin. Like this, and every kid I've worked with, did a lot of, I obviously know a lot of, well, obviously, but I've done a lot of coaching with youth athletes. And so you get a kid in the squad, they're like, is there a pad? This hurts. And I'm like, I know it still hurts. You'll just get used to it. But there is something that's empowering about the idea that your body is strong and capable and you can handle discomfort. And when you can handle discomfort, you can enjoy pleasure and comfort so much better, so much more, more fully, I should say. So the first part is to understand that like you are stepping into a voluntary path that will be more uncomfortable. And when you accept that, it then sets the stage for everything else. So the first thing I tell people is if, well, it depends on a few things. So there's, there's a shoe route and then there's the foot function route. So for the, the shoe route, it's there are stepwise functions. So there are four factors of a good shoe. There's a width of the toe box, so it's wide enough for your toes to wiggle and move. There's flatness, which is your heel and toe are on the same level, just like you would be if you're barefoot. There's the flexibility of the sole, how well it can bend. And then there's the thinness of the sole, which is the least important. But you, know, you can imagine if you have a two inch stack depth or height, it's easier to roll an ankle, right? You step on something, you flip because you got two inches of, of leverage working against you. So in so much that you get the first three right, so it's flexible, it's wide, and it's flat, those are what matter. The padding is a personal preference. So my recommendation, so the first thing is like, oh, keep your shoes, but take the orthotics out. And again, I understand that for most people, orthotics help them out of a situation. Hocus help them out of a situation. So there is an emotional reliance on that. There is no rush to make this process because you cannot just change your shoes and think it's going to solve it. You have to pair this with the other half we'll come back to, which is moving your foot. But from the shoe perspective, because people are much more likely to say, what shoe should I buy? You want to think about it, start to move in one of these vectors. Can you get the shoe flatter? Can you get it wider? Can you get it more flexible? And then eventually lower the stack height for appropriate situations. But first, take the orthotic out so that you can bend your shoe. Ease into it. You'll be moving your feet if you do this well. You'll be moving your feet along so and you get circulation. 
it, I've never had someone take their orthotic out that actually goes back to pain. And I've worked with over 2,000 people through this course on this point. And I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying ease into it as what you feel confident. So, and that's going to be, I should caveat that, for things that are low stress, like walking, standing, daily activities, weightlifting, those are going to be things you can easily take it out. For running, there's a conversation to be had about form and strength and whether you should even be running if you have to have orthotics in there. But that's a little bit, that's like a third part, which goes into ego and identity of people have like, well, I'm a runner. I can't not run. I have to scratch my itch because they're drug addicts and they have to do it. There's a part of like, you skip the foundation to building strength. And then you, before you really go and do an activity, like I don't go drive on the highway before I learn to drive in a neighborhood, for example. All that to be said is if you work stepwise down that. So what I recommend people is going from something like a Hoka or any typical Nike shoe to something like an Ultra, a Solstice or an Escalante or for hiking a Lone Peak. Ultra is like, that's my number one company for the best of the conventional. Like it's the minimalist conventional, meaning all almost all Ultras are wide in the toe box, they're flexible and they're flat. You know, then the Solstice and Escalante have about like a half inch of padding underneath. So it's like just enough that it's soft and you can get away with factory transition movement but they're not overly padded and the lone peak is great because it's a little bit more grip and tread for hiking so those are my three i've got the ultra lone peak as well yeah it's a great shoe and so those are going to be good things that's kind of like i'm going to live in this space while i start to move my toes but the beauty is is those start to get your feet moving from there as your feet get stronger in appropriate situations you can do a like a more conventional minimalist shoe like a vivo barefoot or a zero those can be fine they're closed boxes my personal bias, I do the five fingers for everything because they are like functional toe spreaders. Basically, you get the separation of the toes. If you wear, I wear a toe socks so that A, my feet don't get stinkier, the shoes don't get stinky. That's a big one. But they A, look weird and B, like they're not less comfortable than the Vivos because you still feel the ground. But I think they're more functional. They grip, especially for weightlifting. It's like you can't beat that shoe, but they look weird. And people are not accustomed to seeing toes, even though we all have them. It's so funny. I take my five fingers off and I'm wearing toe socks and everybody goes, you're wearing toe socks? I'm like, yes, I'm wearing toe shoes. What did you think? But you don't have to. So I would say one of those, like the next step would be a minimalist shoe, like a, a Vivo or a Vibram, a Vivo or a Zero. The next step is to get to like a, bare, a foot maximalist shoe, which I would say is a five finger or a one of those sandals. Because when people wear flip-flops, and I know this is a lot of information, but when people step, Every single step, we naturally spread our toes and splay them because it's like we're catching the ground. Like you catch, spread your hand to catch a ball, you spread your toes to catch the ground. If you wear a shoe that doesn't have a heel strap, you're instead of spreading the toes, you have to clinch down your toes to keep the shoe from coming off. Very unnatural. And that creates the stiffness like plantar fasciitis and the syndrome we feel on Achilles tendonitis and stuff along those lines. So a minimalist, a barefoot sandal has a, a strap that goes around the back. Crocs actually work fine for that. They're not, they're I would they're, they're fine, but they're not ideal. That's a transition for the shoes. So you go from something like an ultra, which is, you know, those things, but you're moving down these metrics. With, and I would always, always recommend wearing toe socks with all those, just because like it does get you that like practice of like spreading your toes, putting them on every single day. Those are going to be ideal. You have to pair that with movement because if you do not get the toes to move and flex and bend, you do not get circulation to the tissues. You do not get the remodeling stimulus. Shoes will not fix your feet. Like I can't both sides, the minimalist shoes and the maximalist shoes, they make the same line. Shoes will not fix your feet. The best thing they can do is give you the space within which your feet can move and heal themselves. The only thing you can do to fix your feet is start to move them and use them. I have a program that walks people through that, but ultimately take your shoes off, just be barefoot, walk outside for five minutes a day on soft grass, just feel the ground more, and you will start to develop this capacity. One thing, last thing I'll say on this is, a single take home you could do right now 
it's called the hand foot glove. So basically you, when you're sitting down watching TV or whatever you do in the evening, you take your fingers and you put them in between your toes. You can use some baby oil if you need, like to really, if you're really starting off and at the beginning or you go one finger at a time. But basically hey, there's two things going on here. Proprioceptively, we are getting the feedback from our physical touching of ourselves. We are learning that this part of our body exists, but also we're doing an anatomically appropriate spacing of our feet. There's a reason your fingers are shaped in similar proportion to your toes. So being able to get your fingers in between your toes, it will be uncomfortable at first, but as you do this, you start to remodel tissue with a gentle stimulus. And over time, spend five minutes a day, spend as much time as you want doing it every day, because eventually you'll need your hands for something else. So it's kind of self-limiting, unlike wearing toe spacers, which I'm not a huge fan of, uh, but we could, that's, we could talk about that if you want to, but that would be the process. It's a lot there, but you know, yeah, it's really simple. that's great. And I mean, it's a, it's important to kind of break that down because, you know, as we've been talking about the whole, for the whole show, like a lot of this is just, um, first of all, it's really kind of developing awareness of your feet and creating that connection between your brain and, and your awareness and what's going on in your feet and toes. Mm -hmm. And, and then it sounded like also building up the strength of the tendons and the, and the musculature yeah. and fascia and all that stuff in the feet so that your feet don't just feel like blocks down at the mm. bottom there that, that there's actually, you know, a similar level of articulation and awareness and, and dexterity. Um, mm. you know, maybe obviously not the same as your hands and fingers, but closer. Maybe they don't than, need to be. Than, yeah. Than, yeah. Yeah. They don't need to be. And then, and then from there it's, a, you know, you're, you're thinking about footwear and what you're putting mm. on your feet and you gave a great breakdown of the different options there and how that might evolve over time. But then the third element is 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 how you're actually moving with your feet and in those. So uh, we only have a few minutes left, but let's talk maybe what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make uh, from that perspective? Let's say they, mm. you know, they've 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 developed more awareness of their feet. They're starting to go barefoot and have some minimalist footwear. If they are a runner or even just walking, like what are some of the common biomechanical mistakes? Or, or habitual patterns that aren't even conscious that people have developed that they need to be aware of? That's a great question. And one thing I think is important to make a note of is so many people will look and say, I don't need to do running. I don't need to jump. I don't need to do plyometric things. But when you look at the the, the tissue that wraps in and around, what you see in older people is that they get stiff, literally, like their bodies get stiff and they kind of lock down. They actually shrink. It's like their bodies are doing the Benjamin Button thing and kind of collapsing down. So it, it is part of being a healthy functioning human is having healthy bendable fascia. That is the difference between someone that's elastic and bendy that can fall and bounce back and get up, that youthful bounciness. The studies have shown that even in people that are in 60 that have been previously untrained, Doing things like light jump roping and hopping creates that your the fibrotic tissue, which is that stiffened, hardened tissue, remodels. So you have to have some form of rhythmic plyometric loading in your body for life. And as a young kid, that could be sprinting. As an older person, it could be just basic little hops, like skipping and bouncing. But when we tell people that they're old, and unfortunately, like there's a certain level of uh, you know when once it's too far gone, it gets harder for people, but. When you put someone in a pool and you take out gravity, they lose that stimulus. And that is, you have to have the rhythmic plyometric loading to remodel the tissue. It's scalable, of course, but like it is essential to have healthy tissue because if you do not have that stimulus on your body, you will age poorly, you will get stiff and you will lose the mobility of your joints. And then that becomes 
that literally hastens your, your your death in a sense. You know, there's a certain point after which falling is more deadly than cancer. I think like 70. That's right. Break your hip, die of pneumonia. That's a saying in medicine. That's the thing is that like, but how do you not break your hip? Okay, that's single leg strength and foot speed. I need to be able to trade, like if I trip, I pick my foot up and catch myself. And if you want some inspiration as a 90, well, she's 96, but go Google 91 year old gymnast. This woman is unbelievable she will blow your mind for somebody it shows what you can do if you just never stop moving it's amazing um but all that to be said is like that's the underlying perception of why it matters just because you're 45 and you haven't run in 40 years that does not matter because when you're 60 you're going to wish you could go back and start this because your body will remodel and it is of dire importance for you and for your kids and for your longevity so you don't end up in a wheelchair dead 10 years before you can before you should our health spans are what matter so all that said is really important that being said the, the two biggest mistakes people do is they, A, don't take the time to learn the correct form of movement. So we talked a little bit earlier where walking is a stance phase where one foot's in contact with the ground all the time. Anything more than that, even if it's a slow jog, requires a shift because I'm now jumping from foot to foot. It doesn't matter how slow I'm going. Tell me how low of a jump you need to do when you jump roping to not land on your heels. So there is a level of, I, I land on the forefoot and I use these dozens of 33 joints and dozens of tendons, muscles, and ligaments to absorb things like a spring. When I land on my heel, I don't have that. To the example of go, even walking, for example, like if we walk on our heels and overstride, it's very impactful and very painful. So the first mistake is people don't understand that there is a correct way to run. There are multiple variations and nuances within that based off the surface, the speed, the texture, and the, like, the visibility of it, the safety of it but it is always gonna be done on the forefoot. Now that's scalable, your heel may still graze. I'm not talking about your toes, but like the front of your foot, the balls of your feet, the heel may still graze at lower, lower paces, but understanding that. And once you understand that cognitively, you realize there is a certain amount of strength I have to have to be able to do this. And so just like developing a skill, most people, the progression goes, they're out of shape, they wanna get healthy. So they start walking and they do a couch to 5K program. And they don't worry about running, they just wanna get you active. Because the point is not to learn how to run, the point is to get you to lose weight and get you healthy. So they do a couch to 5K. Then they kind of go like, wow, that was really cool. I'm, I'm excited I did that. Maybe I could try 10K, because they think I could do this, I'll just keep doing what I did, because it's safe and it's straightforward. Oh, I did 10K, maybe, ooh, that'd be a head big, I could do a half marathon. They do that, and they like, oh, I could do then they develop an identity, about like, I go and run, because it gets me moving. If I don't run, I'm gonna get fat, and that was miserable, I never wanna go back there. So I'm gonna keep running. But no one ever stopped to say, hey, it's not just about going to Fleet Feet and getting the fancy shoe. It's about going and saying, I've got um, a set. It's about saying that there is a set of skills and tissue strengths I have to have in order to run correctly. That's why you see guys like Ilu Kipchoge, who spend, he was a poor farmer growing up in Kenya. He ran two miles to and from school every day. And they're not Nike outlets on the street corner in Kenya. So like you see the decades built up to build the strength and resiliency that he can now go wear those shoes and get benefit from them. But it's not like those are the thing that he got him where he was. So just take a breath and breathe because it may take time taking off of running where you're just walking and learning a jog and doing some striding and being some, having some barefoot resiliency. But you can go, that's why biking, rowing, skiing, uh, erging whatever like any any variations of can get that cardiovascular thing up or just walking but basically the yeah. mistake is people let the ego and identity wrapped up and then they won't stop doing something to learn how to do it correctly so then they get into a long pattern develop overuse and then they won't take time off that's the first mistake that people make and the second is just not being mindful when they walk the simple cue i would say there is slightly turn the feet in feel the ground with the toes and just practice this like think about walking softly letting the hips and spine move and think about if you walk softly, 
that's going to get you a lot like challenging yourself to walk softly because you know people that are like weigh 110 pounds but they feel like it sounds like the, the floor is coming down when they walk across the same with the heels a lot of stuff there but if i could summarize well, I that in one thing go for it sorry yeah no go ahead feel, feel free to I was summarize, gonna say if I just... <laughs> summarize it all is just to say that being intentional about it and treating it as though it's a skill to be learned as opposed to something to be ground through. It's not about grinding through a run. It's about learning to do it so that it's a natural, fluid, effortless thing. Nice. I, I just wanted to put put in a plug for jump jumping rope as as a, one of these possibilities because you yes. know I when I was a teenager I trained in Muay Thai, which <laughs> it's funny most people don't know that and. Jumping rope was a huge part of that training, as you can imagine, but both for mm -hmm. fitness, like for conditioning and, you know, bu building up stamina because it's a pretty brutal sport and also agility. And I yeah. was, I noticed a huge improvement in my basketball game from once I started training in Muay Thai. And I think it was mostly from the, the jumping rope, jumping rope. And all, all the different ways that you, you know, that you jump rope in, in Muay Thai training. And it's something that's just stuck with me and I love it. I always recommend it to people because it's, mm -hmm. it's you know, it's so it's the jump rope is what 15 bucks or something, you know, yeah. it's super cheap. You can take it with you and put it in your bag. You can do it in a hotel room. You can pretty much do it anywhere and it's pretty accessible for most people. And yeah. it's a great way to I like develop that. And if you're doing it barefoot, you really start to develop that, that felt sense that we're talking about. Yeah. And one, one thing that I think people, that gets missed on that is when you jump rope you're jump roping or you're not jump roping you can't grind through when you're tired when you're running there's passive forward cadence that happen with our gait that we can kind of like especially when you wear shoes you can just kind of like reach a little bit further and just you can get used to grinding but jump roping is very clearly ingrained that i'm jump roping for 30 seconds and then like Woo, i'm tired i use those muscles and it's a very clear thing where like i can do it and i can't and if i do it and train i get better and better and better so th it's like if people treated running like that and just bit the bullet on the first few weeks of like, I'm going to be tired. And when I get tired, I stop and I walk, you would pick it up so much faster, but because they say, well, you could wear a heel. You, if you're running and you get tired, just wear these shoes and help you run further. It's like no shoes are going to help you jump rope further. That's only your feet. So I really think it's a valuable training tool in so many ways. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Graham, this has been a fascinating conversation. I know you have some amazing programs um, on your website that help people to kind of dial in their, their movement and and mm -hmm. take the next step on some of these things, including the feet, ankles, and lower legs, the Ready to Run yeah. program that I think yes. you're best known for. But there, there are a couple more, Ready to Roll, Ready to Rock, and Unbreakable Athletes. So tell us a little bit about those. Broadly speaking, I, I, I've just, as a curious individual, just going through like, how would I do this? Cause I suffered from all the things of doing all the things wrong. So to speak, even though being a cross country track runner, I had no idea how to run and how the feet work. So it's basically undoing and unbinding myself from the pains that I worked myself into. So the goal is that each of these programs are a month long. So they're ready to run, ready to roll, ready to rock. It's a 28 day program with an accompanying 45, 55,000 word book. That's broken down into 30 emails. So you get a daily email with program like do this, and then this is the education. So the, the toolkit of what to do, the education and know why, but then you have the coaching there to empower you and encourage you. So that's that's the big process. And each of those are one month program, live coaching, live group calls like this, where you can ask questions. Those I'm trying to, my goal is to get 100,000 people to go through those because that's like the process of nothing special, nothing unique. It's just, this is how the body works. These are the basic things to get your body back moving and how to engage and learn it. It's like, 
I think of it as an elementary school teacher. Like I am just getting you the alphabet for your body. And if I get people to do that, they'll be out of pain and have the capacity back. The rest of the world, they can do whatever they want. For people that want to do a little more like dynamic stuff, like sprinting and uh, more athletic stuff, that's for the Unbreakable Athletes. Like a three-month program that's a little bit higher level with weightlifting and stuff like that. That's the thing if you want to do it. But like my big goal and driving passion in life is to get people. We go and look at people and tell them to go write poetry and didn't and without skipping the fact with skipping the fact that we never taught them the alphabet. So it's like, hey. This is the alphabet. Let's get you the basics of like, how do you move your toes? How do you think about your shoulders? And it, it's really unwinding the mental psychological damage that happens when people walk into a doctor and get walk out with a diagnosis. Uh, I've got, you know, ad, you know, halicus rigidus, uh, whatever. It's like, I don't even know what that means in Latin, but it's like, I have it. And I guess they just, I don't know what he means, but I can't wear shoes anymore. Or I can't wear walk barefoot anymore. So I hate that. And I wouldn't empower people away from it. Which is what you do with the help of nutrition or explain about nutrition. It's like, you don't have all these things. You're just deficient. You need to go eat some more of this. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, no, that's great. I, what popped into my mind as you were talking about it is like it's basic literacy for the body. And, yes. uh, you know, if you imagine skipping that in terms of language and grammar and being able to read and write, you see, you know right. what a tremendous disadvantage you would be at in life. And yet most of us did skip basic body literacy because we weren't taught or we were taught yeah. the wrong way so this is a chance to correct that this is awesome so what's the what was the best way for people to connect with you graham and find these programs right now uh instagram probably not uh, the tiktok and instagram is where like i put most stuff up tiktok is that's like that's a wash because you can't actually message you but like reach out on instagram it's at the barefoot sprinter all one word but that I have a website and I'm, but I'm going to redo that and try to make it because I've gotten the process of like building, building everything. And now it's like a year into the program. So now it's time to make it a little bit more like outwardly focused and clear, but Instagram would be the best way. Okay, great. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show and uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed connecting with you and let's do it again sometime in the future. I, I'd be honored to. Thanks everyone for listening. Keep sending your questions to chriscrosser.com slash podcast question. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.